God, just as we come into this place and we come from our homes or from fights or drive in the car trying to wrangle in kids, and God, we just ask your presence to be with us and we just recognize in this moment that you are here. So God, I just pray that in this moment, as we settle down, sing songs, God, that we'd be able to just recognize your presence with us. And God, we pray for all the PG families with PG break, God, and they go all over the place. God, we pray that you would go with them. God, all the schools that are on break and all the families that are traveling, God, we pray that you would bring them safely back to this place and they would experience just profound refreshment. Be with you as that are here. God, we pray that this morning would be an opportunity to be with you and learn more about your ways. God, meet us however we come into the room, whether it is with joy or pain. God, with disappointment or celebration. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I just want to invite us to say the Lord's Prayer together. This is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, both now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. It's awesome to be here with you guys. My name's Tony. I have the privilege and pleasure of serving as pastor here at Wellspring. Uh, one of the things, if you're a kid and you want to hang out with some other kids, we'll see how many kids are here and how many are on vacation. Uh, if you're a kid and you're here and you want to hang out with other kids, go to Mr. Jim back there and Miss Cassie right now. A couple of them. <laughs> have a lot of adventurers right now. So one of the fun things uh, that we're doing right now in this series as we lean into what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus so we're leaning into uh, this idea of what does it look like to follow Jesus, not just as an idea, not just as knowing who he is, but what does it look like to actually do what he does. For the last few weeks, we've been kind of leaning into this series. We looked at Matthew 11. You might be familiar with these words. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're struggling, hey, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. What does it look like to follow me and do what I do? Eugene Peterson in the message says this, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Right? It's this picture of uh, unforced rhythms of grace that we've sort of taken as the title of our series. And the idea is this. So often when we think about practicing the way of Jesus, it's just sort of even exhausting just to think about. Where it's like, I'm already busy, my life is already full, and now you're telling me I need to do that I think mirror things. And yes and no. 
We want to create a sort of experience here that I think mirrors, what does it look like to take Jesus' yoke upon you, right? This is essentially about letting go of our agenda and embracing God's. It's not about adding new things. It's about letting go at a deeper level to how God wants to shape and form us into his image. So it is unforced. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you letting go and allowing God to shape and mold you, right? So that you experience the grace, not just the forgiveness of your sins, but transforming grace that transforms you from the inside out into Jesus' image. Right, so two weeks ago, we did an intro. Last week, we talked about Sabbath and solitude. This week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be God's faithful presence in the world. Now, when I was in college, I remember I went to this training. Uh, who here is a football fan? A couple? Maybe one or two? You're like, I would not be here at 10.15 if I was that big of a football fan. Uh, no, but we can time travel now. So you can record something and watch it later. So it, it makes it easier. But so in this training, what he talked about specifically is, hey, you know, as Christians, what we're really good is being in relationship with people. But what we're not very good at is when you get into the red zone. Right? So the red zone, if you're a football fan, is like the 20-yard line to the goal line. And he talked about how like what we're really bad at is helping people cross the goal line and decide Jesus is relate to this. I think now I remember thinking about this sermon or this message and I thought, ah, I, I relate to this. I think it's sort of true. Like we're not very good at actually talking about Jesus. Like we like being friends with people. But I remember also leaving the room feeling really uncomfortable for a few reasons. One reason was where was God in this picture? Like, what he was sharing about what does it mean to be the faithful presence was only about my action. And so I felt really pressured. I felt like, well, what if I'm not good at it? Right? It became this sort of performance framework of, Tony, you better perform. What's your, what's your red zone percentage? I also didn't like that God wasn't really mentioned. And in the process, what that meant is that it was all on me to, like, convince people that didn't believe in God that they should believe in God. And no, maybe I'm not that good at convincing people. And maybe that's not even the point. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, he says, no one says Jesus is Lord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, so what is God's role in this and what is mine? Is this really about me just carrying an object across a goal line? Because that sort of makes me feel like I'm turning a person into an object. And it feels like God really enjoys the personhood of people. He honors them. He loves them. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. So what does that mean for me? Right, I want my friend. So what is the goodness of Jesus? I want my friends to align with God. So what does it look like then for us, for me to be the faithful presence of God? So I'm not going to talk about a football analogy. What I want to start with is actually look through the scriptures. And what do we see in the Bible? What does God actually say about humanity and what it means to be God's faithful presence? And then I want to sort of get into everyday life a little bit, and specifically on the side of practice. So what is a rhythm of grace that is unforced, that transforms us and the world? Now, what I want to do before I sort of dive into our roles, I want to set a frame initially on the side of you know, we are God's faithful presence, yes, and we'll get into that, but it begins with God's faithful presence, right? God is the one who creates, and if you look at the arc of the Old Testament into the New, what you see is that God is faithful to people and present with people, and that informs actually the presence that we then embody. 
But God is the one who is faithful and we follow his lead. Let's go back to just Genesis 1. I think this is a decent starting place. So humans are made, right? Well, actually, they're not first, right? You have chaos and void, and you have a creator who forms all things, right? Heaven and earth, stars, sky, creepy things, crawly things, and then forms all kinds of mammals, including humans. And he says this, super important verse. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's lots of theories on what does it mean to be made in the image of God, but I think we can say this really safely. Human beings from their first breath, from our first time our foot hit the soil, from the very beginning were created for a purpose greater than ourselves. Specifically, we were meant to be and bear God's image, be his faithful presence on earth from the very beginning of time. And we did this more in who we were, right? It was much more about who we were made to be than it even was what we were called to do. We were made this way to image God on earth from the very beginning. But then in chapters two and three, right, tragedy enters the world. And part of this tragedy is that human beings decide to go their own way. Rather than aligning their life, their actions, who they are with God and imaging Him on earth, they decide, nah, we're going to do our own thing. And what you see is chaos unfolds. Divisions between God and humanity. Divisions between humans themselves. And then divisions between humans and creation. And into the new and in our modern life. But God doesn't give up. Right? He still wants people to bear his image in the world. So what does he do, right? After the flood, he calls Abraham. And he says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, through you, all people, on, will be, all people on earth will be blessed through you. This is Genesis 15. So what does God do? He calls a people to himself. He calls them to himself and he says, through you, I want to make this people a blessing in the world. He's reconstituting right? The early call of Genesis 1. People are meant to bear his image. What do I want you to do? I'm going to call these people to myself. I'm going to form them into a nation that is a blessing in the whole world. He wants them to bear his image in the world. But if you're a student of the Old Testament, what you see is that the people that God calls, right? The people that become the Israelites, right? They experience exile just as Adam and Eve do. Right? They are exiled from the promised land just as Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. Both of them do not become the people God intended them to be. Right? At, at creation, they don't end up bearing God's image. Genesis, they don't end up being a blessing in the world. But God doesn't give up on humanity. Right? Humanity incarnation, right? God, right? God takes on human flesh. In the incarnation, right? God moves into the neighborhood. Jesus takes on human flesh, becomes a human being, literally imaging God in the world. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being on earth. And then what does he do? He gathers disciples and he teaches them, all right, guys, this is what it means to be the faithful presence of God on earth. He forms a group of people 
so that this group of people, which becomes the church, can be restored to its original calling, which is in Genesis 1, to bear God's image in the world, and Genesis 15, that they can be a blessing in the world, not just do their own agenda, but be faithful to the call that God has made them for. And he teaches them, he forms them, and Jesus is crucified, and he's resurrected, And right before he ascends to be with the Father, what does he do? He sends this group of people that he has now taught for three years to bear his image in the world. Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed into Jesus' likeness, his image. Right? So then the church are the people that are being transformed into Jesus' image, sent in Matthew 28. And then he says, right, and you, maybe if you're around church a fair amount, you know Matthew 28. This idea of Jesus sends this group of people now to be his witnesses in the world. And this is what he says to them. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now a few things to point out in this text. And we're going to camp here for a minute. One, I want you to pay attention to who was sent. Because sometimes we think in the modern world that like, oh, they were just more faithful. Right? They were with Jesus for three years. They get it. They're rocking it. Of course he would send them to be his witnesses, but not us. Right? Verse 17, what does he say? Right? Some worshipped him and some, what? Doubted. And yet he sends these doubting worshippers into the world to be his, bear his image and his likeness, to be his faithful presence from there to the ends of the earth. Now this word doubted is interesting. It happens in two places in the New Testament. One is here, the other one is in uh, Matthew 14. There's this story where he's starting to freak out. He sends his disciples on the lake ahead of him. He's going to chill. A storm comes up. They're starting to freak out. He decides, okay, I'll walk on the water out to them. They think, they see him, they think he's a ghost. And they're like, ah! He's like, no, it's just me, guys. I'm here. They think he's a ghost. And they're like, well, let me verify. If you're a ghost, call me, or if you're not, if you're really Jesus, call me out to you. So Jesus says, okay, Peter, come out to me. And Peter starts walking on the water. And he looks around and he's afraid. He's freaking out and he starts to sink. And he says, oh, you a little faith, why do you doubt? So there's these folks, right, that see Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus is calling them, sending them to be his witnesses in the world. And yet they doubt like Peter did on the water. They look around and think, really, is this going to happen? It's these doubting worshipers that he sends into the world. And the thing that's interesting about this text is we don't see at any point for the rest of Matthew any of their doubts like, okay, Matthew says, okay, they no longer doubted. Do you notice that? They never once say, oh, and now they're 100% faithful. They have no doubts anymore. It never says that. Instead, Jesus tells them three things. First, he tells them this. One, hey guys, I am in control. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is going to ascend to the, you're the king of the universe, sending them out, but he's not saying, hey, you guys are awesome. You're in control. You can do this. You're the king of the universe. No, he is. 
He was the creator on day one when he made his creatures to bear his image. And they still are not empowered creators. They are not kings. They are creatures. Some worship, some doubt, and he sends them to be his witnesses in the world. Don't worry. I am king over everything is what Jesus says. Second, he gives them something to do. He says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go. Right, go. They're in Jerusalem. They need to go to the ends of the earth. That's going to take a lot of going, right? Sometimes, though, I think when we read this text, 2,000 years later, we think, all right, I got to move. I got to go to Nepal. I got to go to India. But the truth is, the church is growing in almost every other part of the world except where we are. So going actually means staying for us. It means going deeper into the place God has already put us and being faithful in that place. Make disciples. Again, this is not convince people. This is not, hey, now you've got to get a PhD in apologetics so you can convince everyone in your life apologetics would be cool. You are super smart and they should listen to everything you say. I mean, a PhD in apologetics would be cool. But that's not what is going on here. He's saying, go. You, the doubting worshiper, the one who has your own story that God has spoken into, I'm sending you to be where you are. And as you are being where you are, hey, guess what? I'll do something. Karl Barth, who's a theologian, really famous one, 20th century, said that we are living billboards testifying to God. Make disciples. Be the billboard you were made to be. This isn't about you becoming someone else. This is about you being you where you are and allowing God to work. There's this great uh, saying that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Go, stay. Guess what? God is going to make an appeal through you where you are. And in that process, if someone is like, hey, tell me about this God, this Jesus. He says, okay, make disciples. Teach them what I have taught you about what it means to embrace and submit to the lordship of Jesus in everyday life. Right? Make disciples isn't, hey, tell your friend who already believes in Jesus how to grow. This is about, hey, that person who doesn't know Jesus, how do they embrace the lordship of Jesus? And as they do, then teach them everything that you three. Three, first, Jesus says, I'm in control. Second, he gives them something to do, all right? Don't just eat falafel and wait till I come again, right? I'm giving you a mission. Three, he says this, and guess what? I am going with you. Surely, I am always with you to the very end of the age. If you remember at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the presence of God is what defines sort of our faithful presence in the world. And this continues here. God is the one who is faithful and present to us throughout all of our lives. And he says, guess what? You're not going alone. I am going with you. And truth be told, he is going ahead of us. He is in all the places you already are. He's already there. He's inviting you to be with him in those places, not just do it on your own. There's this cool line in Acts 1.8 where uh, the author writes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? This is a parallel passage to Matthew 28. And what he's saying is, I think, pretty cool. One, I'm going to be with you through this process. And two, as the Spirit comes on you, which is Jesus' presence, he's going to empower us to do Right? This is word in Greek is dynamite. So not only will he be present with us, he will empower us to do the things that they couldn't do in Genesis 1. Power us to do the things that they couldn't do in Genesis 15 when Abraham is called to be a blessing to the nations and the people of Israel go their own way. Hey, actually, we will have the presence and the power to fulfill the mission that God is giving us to do. So then the question becomes, okay, so what about now? What about us? If that is sort of the framework that we're living in, we're invited to be this faithful presence of God on earth. What does that look like? One of the things that's interesting, Barna did a study recently. Barna's a, a group that does sort of all kinds of different studies related to the church. One of the studies they found is that basically everyone believes what I just said on some level with different nuance, different language, maybe different story, but this idea that we are all invited to be witnesses of God's presence in the world. From millennials to elders, it's basically like 95% of millennials believe this, 97% of elders. Almost everyone believes this, okay? But there's other studies that Barna has done. One study says this, when the unchurched were asked to describe what they believe are the most positive and negative contributions of Christianity, favorable, almost half, 49%, could not identify a single favorable impact of the Christian community. It's an interesting stat. So you have a broad consensus that we are called to be witnesses of God's goodness in the world. And yet, when you actually look at the stats, half of people that don't go to church cannot identify one positive thing that the church is doing in the world. Now, you might chalk that up to, you know, it's a secular environment. What do you expect, Tony? And yet, all you have to do is go back to the early church. The Romans are actually feeding Christians to lions. They don't like them. And yet, on two levels, you see that their witness is actually a super positive one. One, there are tons of people that end up becoming Christians and end up moving into the church, accepting Jesus as Lord, such that in 300 years, the entire Roman Empire becomes Christian. In our day and age, for every one person who accepts Jesus as Lord, four people leave the church. Right now. Two, what you see in the early churches, even if they don't like Christians, almost all the Roman philosophers give Christians credit for the good things they are doing. They still see Christians doing things that are making a positive impact. Oh yeah, you really do care. They're really patient. You don't. That's what the Romans would say. Yeah, those Christians, man, they're really patient. And look at the way they die. They die with hope. So what is going on here? We have this massive acceptance of this narrative that we are meant to be witnesses in the world. And yet, when you look, when you survey people that are outside the walls of the church, they're like, meh, I don't see it. What's going on? As I sort of thought and prayed about it, one of the things that I think I'm realizing is that as a church, I think we get the idea. 
What we haven't figured out how to do is translate it into actually rhythms and practices of how do we actually live this out in everyday life. When we get afraid. Right? We wonder, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to trample on toes. We're not sure how to apply it. So, right? so we go a few directions. We either hide. We hide our faith because we don't want people to judge us. Or maybe we go like super hard into like social justice as a way of saying, but you can see the impact here, but we kind of distance ourselves from Jesus sometimes in doing it. I feed the hungry. Oh, tell me about your belief in God. Well, I feed the hungry. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, there should be a combination. We can't alignment here, right? Christians should care for the poor. Christians should embrace justice. But we can't distance ourselves from the person of Jesus as we try and do it. So what do we do? I think one of the things we need to lean into are what are the habits and practices that make us a faithful presence in the world? Not simply as an idea, but as an embodied reality in our everyday life. So I want to kind of lean into that for a minute. What would it look like? Right? What would it look like for us to actually be a faithful presence? I think it starts, faithful presence actually starts with listening prayer. Then you might be like, wait, what? How does it start there? Well, this is the thing. God is already at work. God already goes, is at the coffee shop you're at. God is already in your house. God is already in your workplace. God is already on the move everywhere you already go. You don't need to bring the presence of God. God is there. God is already on the move, on mission. God is already sort of locating himself in places, just as he did with the incarnation when he takes on human flesh. Right? He's already doing that. He's waiting for you to partner with him in the at work. So it starts with listening prayer because it starts with us saying, God, where are you already at work? How do I be present where you are already present? I mean, think of those places in your life, the people in your life. Right? God loves these people. Listening prayer is the beginning of saying, all right, God, what is your invitation to me? And this is a daily, weekly, whatever, some sort of rhythm practice of saying, God, where are you already at work? How can I partner with what you are already doing? This is not just about behavior. You know, did you share this, this, the four spiritual laws with that person? You know, check it off. This is about God inviting you, and so it becomes this intimacy-cultivating experience, right? Because now we're aligning our heart with God's heart. Oh, God, is your heart breaking for this person who's in pain in my workplace? Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, this person's struggling. Oh, okay, yeah. How do I, God, where are you already at work? Let me follow you, right? And then it leads to discernment and action. Prayerful listening, God, where are you already at work, leads to then discernment and action. What I mean by this is, who are you, right? God is calling you and me. He's already planted you. You're already in, already there. No missional outposts in your life right now. You're already there. You don't need to go somewhere. You're already there. You're in a workplace. You're in a neighborhood, right? You're in a family. 
Almost certainly in all these environments, God has placed you and you have something to offer in that place. But God knows who you are. He knows you. And he is sending you, placed you there with your strengths, your gifts, your weaknesses. He's asking you. He doesn't need you to be someone else. He's asking you to be where you are. He has planted you there. And he's saying, you, what does it look like for you to be present to where he is calling you in that place? You don't need to read another book right now. You're, you're already enough. God has put you in that very place at this very time to be his faithful presence, to act. Now, I think it might be helpful to share a couple stories at this point because it sort of, so it doesn't feel like uberly abstract. So in my world, uh, my wife is like crazy gifted at meeting practical needs. So if someone is pregnant on our street, on our block, she will see the need and she will respond. She is like, God has designed her and built her to see needs and meet them in practical. She builds friendship. It's unbelievable. And then through these like practical acts of service, she builds friendships. She's present. The thing I realize is I feel like I need to be this way. And I'm not. This is not my strength. I do not see needs and then figure out a practical way to solve it. That is not my gift. And whenever I try and do it, it's like, this is not an unforced rhythm of grace. This is a forced rhythm that feels like slavery. (laughs) Because I am not built this way. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to get better, but it is not how I'm built. Instead, for me, based on how God made me, I didn't grow up in the church. So I actually just love spending time with people that didn't grow up in the church, that aren't attending church. I enjoy that. And particularly God has sort of equipped me to actually through hospitality and just spending time eating and drinking, being together with these people to build friendship. It's super intuitive for me. So I get in these conversations with people and I reach out to them. I had this friend named Wade who was a rock climber up in Washington. We used to rock climb all the time and we would just hang out. We'd grab food, be together. Wade never went to church. And one day we're grabbing pizza and eventually these relationships always get to this point where they're like, so Tony, I just don't get it. Why are you a pastor? And it opens this opportunity to share about God's goodness through my story. I just share, oh man, it's a great question. I never wanted to be a pastor. That was never like my goal in life. But let me tell you about God's goodness. I remember I was starting to like now, I'm starting to cry. But it was, I was over pizza, weeping, sharing about God's goodness with my friend. I don't have a practical act of service gift. I just don't. But I can eat pizza with someone and share about the goodness of God all day long. That's how God's built me. So usually, When God invites me to respond to someone based on who I am, it involves food and conversation and this sort of slow, ramping relational intimacy that leads to these deep questions about life and its meaning. That's how God uses me. I'm not not super good at practical acts of service, but I actually love sort of figuring out communal needs and mobilizing communities to meet needs. So not practical in the sense of one-on-one, hey, you had pr- you're pregnant, you just had a baby, let me give you a meal. It's not that. But I'm, I really like, and I think God has designed me 
to work with nonprofits, to network, to figure out what are the larger communal needs and try and mobilize and bring the whole thing together and get it off the ground. Those are ways that God uses me to be his faithful presence in the world. And unique gift. All of us come to this with a unique story and unique giftings and unique context and environments and relationships that God has placed you in that place so that you could be you for him. And my confidence is that if all of us were just faithful to that, being present to God and God's presence as God has formed us in those places, that if you surveyed our friend groups, if we were really faithful to this process, all of our friend groups would say, oh yeah, no, my friend, I don't know about the church, but my friend is a Christian and let me tell you about the ways that this person has blessed me. But it starts with prayerful listening. It leads to discernment and then action and I would say regular heart checks. I think one of the most undervalued aspects of being a faithful presence of God in the world is actually how it affects our heart. Because what we do when we hide our faith from other people, when we sort of put it in the background and don't let it out, two things. One, well, maybe three. We'll see. See how passionate I get. All right. (laughs) One is we don't have to face the identity issues that surface when we actually are out with our faith into what people, things that we do in the modern world is we put so much of our identity in worth into what people think about us. And a lot of us don't talk about Jesus, aren't sort of share our story about him, aren't sort of really willing to engage in this faithful presence thing because we're afraid of what people will think of us. And as we engage in this and God invites us to do stuff that we're like, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with this, what we realize is that we, are, we have like this collection of idols in our closet that we don't want to look at. Because we care more about what other people think than about actually being God's image bearer in the world. We're more concerned about our image than God's. One of the things that's awesome is actually when we prayerfully listen, what starts to happen is we're like, oh, I'm starting to get uncomfortable. And then we can say to God, God, whoa, I am really attached to what this person thinks of me. Help me. I want to love them, but I am terrified. All right. Now it's sort of like getting at the good stuff. But it's actually this external focus of being a faithful presence that leads us to internal transformation. It's an unforced rhythm that leads to the grace of God shaping us more into Jesus' image from the inside out. I think it also starts to uncover how entrenched we are into our own mission. Open are we actually? We have our own schedule. We have our own rhythm. Like how open are we actually to letting go of some of our control and allowing Jesus to be in control of our schedules, of our time? Right? Because when we actually prayerfully listen and we discern and respond, it means that we actually have to have space in our lives to actually respond with faithfulness. And then that leads to this conversation of, God, have you put me in an environment right now where I'm just going to, like, my mission is the work I'm doing and the classmates I'm with. This isn't like, stop working. This is, what does it look like to work in that place according to God's invitation? 
or if you're a student, to be in those classes, to study for those classes, to create study environments for those classes. And as you're there, what does it look like for you to be the faithful presence of God? Right? God has put you in these places. How do you faithfully be present to him and the context he's brought you into? And I think lastly is this. I think as we prayerfully listen, as we discern and act, what we start to realize is whether or not the good news that we're invited to share has actually become old news for us. I think for some of us, we read the angels, or it was in Luke 2, I don't know, I can't remember, saying, oh, it's good news of great joy for all people. Great joy for all people. Christmas, and we're like, awesome, but on a daily level, we're not sure it's actually good news of great joy for all people. Maybe we think, oh, it's kind of good news. Good news, maybe great joy for me. I don't know about my friend. Which then leads us back to the presence of God. God, show me how this is good news of great joy for all people. That I might remember, rekindle the joy I had at my first sort of realization of worship, of who, how good and amazing you are. Now, if we're going to sort of get into practicals, right, so you have this prayerful listening leading to discernment and action that leads to regular heart checks. I think if I was going to give you one experiment to try today, it would be this. My invitation is to try this each day this week. Take just a few minutes in the morning and just ask God for an opportunity at the day, during the day to be his faithful presence. Don't change your schedule. Just be, let it be what it is and ask God for an opportunity. Ask God to see how you can be his faithful presence and journal about it at the end of each day. What happened? What didn't? Did I miss something? Did I not? And after the end of seven days, see what God has taught you. Just see. Maybe you'll start to see eyes to you alignly. Maybe God will start to shift something in your heart and in your eyes so you align your life and your heart more with his. If you're a parent uh, with kids and you're trying to figure out, how do I do that? How do we do this as a family, right? Uh, we're trying to work on this thing called Able Kids, which is sort of uh, trying to figure out how do we do this as families? One of the things we kind of came up with is do like a family brainstorm. Where do your kids see needs in their environments, right, in their classrooms, in their schools, on the block, and then do something to respond. But allow the kids to have an experience of sort of discerning, oh yeah, this is about more than me. I'm meant to be a faithful presence, not just sort of rock my own thing. And creating a space where you guys could try that as a family. And maybe it's cookies to a neighbor, I don't know, you know, maybe someone looks hungry, the point is creating a space where families can actually do this together so that kids learn from an early age, oh, like this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, before we get into worship, I want to invite the worship team up. I think the thing I would like to do uh, before we actually start singing is just create a little bit of a prayerful moment where we can just be honest with ourselves in the presence of God or like, what are one or two of an honest, honest get in the way? Sort of an honest, honest moment. Like, what are one or two barriers that get in the way of you being God's faithful presence wherever you go? Maybe this is with words. Maybe it's with actions. What, what 
what gets in the way for you? And as Jessica plays a little bit on the piano, I just invite you to maybe find one or two things And the point isn't just to have a cognitive exercise, but then to turn to God, say, God, these are the things that are getting in the way. Maybe God has something he wants to say to you. Maybe he leads you to a scripture. Maybe he gives you a picture. Sometimes in these moments, he just affirms us. Jesus, as we bring these barriers and obstacles to you, God, we ask that you would soften our hearts. God, you, we ask that you would encourage us where encouragement is needed. God, you would convict us where convict us, conviction is needed. God, you would lead us to confession where confession is needed. God, you would lead us to celebration where celebration is needed. God, we want to be your image bearers in the world. God, we want to fulfill the blessing that Abraham was given to be a blessing to the nations. God, we want to be a people here who are your faithful presence. God, in the places we work, in our families, to our neighbors, God, to friends of old and presence in the world. God, we want based on how you have made us and shaped us to be your presence in the world. Lord, move among us. Holy Spirit, move among us. You are present here. Show us how to be present as you are present. Thank you, Lord.